each day as I look around me at this generation that we live in and that we're very much a part of, it seems that the vision that most of us hold to is short-sighted and it's immediate in nature. And yes, there are certain verses in Scripture that lead us in that direction. Verses that tell us not to be too concerned about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. But do we think too short-sightedly? It does seem that way, especially for the unbelieving world, but also for us Christians. We seem to live as if the person that we are right at this moment and the behavioral matters and conduct of our daily lives are only of an immediate nature and are very private to ourselves. They're our own business, having little or nothing to do with anyone else except perhaps some of our close family members. But is that so? Is that so? Are we each, as the saying goes, an island unto ourselves? Or perhaps is the person that we are now and the matters and conduct of our daily life today, do they have an impact on others? And not just those that are close around us, our family, but what about the impact that we're going to have, that we do have, by our behaviors, by our beliefs? What kind of an impact does that have upon our children, but even more on our children's children? And further, does who we are and the matters of our daily life, our private lives, become a heritage that we pass along to the next generation, perhaps even many generations yet to come. Well, folks, in our scripture passage for today, here in this book of Luke, we find that God thinks that it does. He thinks that it does, that who we are and the lifestyle that we live does become a heritage, a heritage that we pass along to the next generation. And he also believes that it can have a profound effect on each of those sons and daughters who will follow along in our genealogical lines even for many, many generations yet to come. And folks, if God thinks so, you and I ought to think so. Here in these words of our scripture passage, the Holy Spirit has given us the heritage of the Lord Jesus. And as we read and study these words carefully, we quickly find that we're really not we are really not an island unto ourselves. That by God's design, the heritage that each of us receives and then passes along to the next generation really is of great importance. So for that reason, I'd like for us to take the time, three, even perhaps four of these messages, to dig deeply into the significance and the meaning that God places on this matter of heritage beginning here with these words given about the heritage of the Lord Jesus, this step-by-step -step impact that we see taking place with the previous generations and then the future generations and how they contributed to who Jesus was as he came in his human form to carry forward this mission that the Holy Trinity had designed for him long before the worlds began. And then also, 
perhaps we'll examine the special impact that our own heritage can have upon our generations, those past, but especially those generations yet to come. What are you, what am I, inputting into the generations yet to come? Our children and our children's children. Do we realize that by who we are and by the decisions that we make today, that we're making an investment in our grandchildren's life, even those grandchildren that aren't even born yet? Now may I say at the onset that this whole concept of an impact that the past generations can have upon the future generations, it's for me one of the more mysterious and sometimes confusing concepts that are given in these scriptures. So then, with that being said, if you'll turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, I want to read about this special heritage of the Lord Jesus. And yes, this reading can seem a bit repetitive, but it's of great importance. It's of great importance, else God would not have put these words into this precious book. Listen to these words, beginning in verse 23 of Luke chapter 3. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Meah, son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joan, the son of Reza, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Cusim, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Elikim, the son of Meli, the son of Minnah, the son of Mathal, the son of Nathan, and you'll recognize some of these names. Not all of them are recognizable to us, but you'll notice some of these become very familiar. The son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Adnan, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Seru, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enoch, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. A long list of fathers and sons. And as we spend these next few three, perhaps four weeks, 
We're going to see how each one, we won't delve into each of the names here, but how these different fathers and sons impacted the next generation and the next and the next. And we know from these scriptures that the Hebrew people placed a great deal of significance and reliance upon the genealogy of a person. Their bloodlines brought with them inherited rights and responsibilities, passed along from generation to generation. Property ownership rules and family responsibilities were ingrained within the bloodlines of each of the tribes, and they could not be violated for any reason by anyone within the individual tribes, and nor could they be violated by other tribes. In other words, one tribe could not come and take over the property of one of the other tribes. It wasn't permitted. God gave each of the tribes the land, and it was permanent in perpetuity. Genealogy and their adherence to that genealogy was of utmost importance in the culture of the, the Hebrew people. And as we'll see as we study these words, God himself is intimately involved within the lives and the behaviors of each of these people. And not only as they would live within their generation, but also the impact upon the lives and the behaviors that would take place upon the next generation and the next and the next. Now simply put, God places great worth and strong consequences within these genealogical makeups of each of these tribes and of each individual person. We don't see so much of that in the rest of the world, even back in that day. But for his chosen people, this was very important to God. And he clearly expresses to his people that he will hold each person accountable for their responses to him, both with great blessings, but also with strong consequences, strong curses. And we read about that accountability in the book of Deuteronomy. These words that I'm going to read to you in a moment from Deuteronomy chapter 30, these were given to the Hebrew people in the earliest days of their nation. But listen how God warns them, but also gives them a promise. This is Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you go across the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. Strong words 
of encouragement and both blessings, but also in curses. Folks, these words are clear and plain. And they were not just for the people of Israel at that moment. They clearly were also for the generations of the Hebrew people that were yet to come. But please also know that these words are also for you and me in our day. Words that are clearly given. God used them as his guide in governing all of those generations that are spoken about here in this lineage of the Lord Jesus. And again, as we'll see as we study these scripture passages, the beliefs, the lifestyles, and the behaviors of each of those generations clearly had an impact on the next generation that followed. One very clear illustration of God's blessings and curses being passed along through the generational bloodlines is seen in the contrast between the descending generations of the two sons of, of Abraham, those of Isaac and those of Ishmael. God promised to bless both of those men and to bless their descendants, and he did. But he blessed them in very, very different ways. Ishmael and his Arab descendants, they received temporal blessings. And that can be seen even today in the enormous wealth that's held in many of those countries in the Arab world. They're still being blessed. That's God blessing them. But Isaac's blessings, Isaac's blessings were to be far greater in that his blessings were going to be spiritual and they were going to be eternal. And that also can be seen. And it especially can be seen in you and me right here in this church today, worshiping the Lord. As believers, as believers, you and I are children of Abraham. So that blessing that he promised to Isaac can be seen in you and me being here today. But again, curses were also a strong element of God's generational covenants. And as any of the bloodlines committed detestable sins before God, and many of them did, they experienced his curses many of which would follow along down through many generations. And he told them that that would take place. That said right in the Ten Commandments. These are words that we pass on by when we're thinking of the Ten Commandments. But listen to the, these words. This is from Deuteronomy 5, verses 9 and 10. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers upon the children, to the third and the fourth generation, to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now you note, and thankfully so, that within these words that I just read, the covenant promise of future blessings. And one of those future blessings would exceed all the other blessings. A blessing that would come through Isaac's bloodline that would wipe away all curses, all iniquity, and all sin. Out of Isaac's bloodline would come a Savior, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and he would bring salvation to anyone who would call upon his name. And folks, that promise was even to some of the sons of Ishmael. If the sons of Ishmael turned their hearts to Christ, then he would bless them eternally also. Again, genealogy was so very important to God. The generational bloodlines was the means by which God could 
choose to pass along his covenant blessings and his covenant curses. And yes, as we can see, God has a very special place in his heart for his beloved children, Israel. I mention that because there are many who don't like that. There are many who don't like the idea that God would choose this nation, Israel. And folks, he still loves the children of Israel today, the nation of Israel. Our American culture is so attuned to the values and consequences of today, but we also do follow some of what God has initiated for us in these gifts to the bloodlines. We follow some of the practices of the inherited family rights. Sons and daughters have inherited rights in property. And then we also carry forward our family name. And the doctors also tell us that we'll pass along diseases and health maladies to the next generation. But beyond that, beyond that, our culture, our nation is so self-centered that if we cannot see a perceived immediate value to our own family or to our own pocketbook, then you and I, unfortunately, find ourselves giving little more than a nod to genealogical ties. And that's sad for us. We need to understand what God wants us to do in this matter. Now again, that was not so with the Hebrew people. They, they kept meticulous records of everyone who was born, individual by individual, tribe by tribe. And you can see that uh, recorded in the scriptures where the children of Israel were coming back from the exile and each one was set aside to their tribe, and especially the priesthood. God places special importance on two tribes within the twelve. Those two tribes are Levi and Judah. The tribe of Levi was the tribe of the priesthood, and the tribe of Judah was of the kings. And if you'll recall, no one could serve within the temple except those who were in the tribe of Levi. So God was very meticulous in his record-keeping of these tribes. It was so important. It's God's way, folks, of placing a firm order into his creation. And unlike the, the secular philosophies and beliefs of today that endorse the concept that all the things and matters of life are changing, God has stamped an indelible order into this creation, whether we like that idea or not. One of the sad things that comes to my mind as I think through things like this, few people are getting married these days. Names are not being carried forward. It's in direct violation of this order that God has set into place. We would rather make our own choices. We like to mix and match all sorts of things and create our own indelible order into the matters of our life. But God has a special order that he has put within creation that cannot be changed and he does not want to be changed. And our lives, our ancestral lines, our genealogy really must follow along according to his plan. Or as he said there in Deuteronomy, we will surely perish. Our lines will die out. And if all men would simply surrender their beliefs and their philosophies to God's authority on such matters as this, then we would have a lot more enjoyment within these matters. 
That's especially so as it relates to God's intimate relationship with you and me. These scriptures give a clear evidence that God, for reasons known only to him, he chose to put his hand into humanity and to adopt and to love a special group of people. And he did this, and you can see it clearly in this family of the descendants of Abraham. Now we can do with that decision that God made as we will. We can like it or not, and many don't. There are whole segments of our Christian denominations that believe that the nation of Israel is no longer favored by God, that we in the church have become Israel. Folks, may I say to you, Scripture does not say that. This special nation of Israel is still a favorite of God's. And again, we can do with that decision that he made as we will. We can like it or not, and many don't, but it's the simple truth that these scriptures give clear evidence to. God makes choices within this humanity that he created. And I must tell you that I, for one, I intend to simply accept what these scriptures tell us and not question or deny anything that I might not like. But with that being said, how does all of this concern about bloodlines work its way out practically in the time and history and especially within the context of today's scripture text? It has to do specifically, again, with this family bloodline that Jesus was born into. For those who do not know Christ as Savior, and even for some of us who do have him as our Savior, but we don't do a lot of the necessary reading of scriptures, and so we don't know about these things. As we would read through this genealogical list of fathers and sons, it might seem that these words were simply noting the parentage of each generation of men, going backwards from Jesus to Adam, to God the Father. But folks, so much more is being said within these words. So much more is being said. In the book of Matthew, or given a similar listing of fathers and sons. But there in the book of Matthew, we can easily recognize that there's a different group of names of ancestors that are. And why is that so? Have you ever questioned that? Read those two lists of the genealogies and wondered why they differed? It has to do with God's intended purposes within these listings. Back in the book of Matthew, and most all of the book of Matthew was ministering directly to the Hebrew people. Not just all of us Gentiles also, but directly to the Hebrew people. To establish within their hearts this clear connection between Jesus and the house of Abraham. That was important because Jesus was the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Abraham and to his descendants. But here in the book of Luke, in this listing of ancestors, there's a different purpose that God is demonstrating, and it follows a different line. The difference is this lineage follows the bloodline of Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. Note here in verse 23, this name Heli, H-E-L-I. Verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. But folks, we know from other portions of Scripture that Mary's husband, Joseph's father, 
His name was Jacob. It was not Heli. And we know that Mary's father was Heli. A question that some would ask, is this listing correct or incorrect? And no, it's not incorrect. God is simply making two separate points in these genealogies. Both Mary and Joseph were from the lineage of Abraham. So both ancestral lines will lead back to Abraham. But a clear delineation needed to be drawn on the matter that was mentioned in these words just before the mention of Mary's father, Heli. The words, as was supposed, depending on your version of scripture, it may say, so it was thought. Let me read this again. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, or as was thought, the son of Joseph. Jesus was truly not the son of Joseph. Yes, he was the son of Mary, and he was the son of God, but he was not the son of Joseph. The great truth that Jesus was born of a virgin, fathered only by God himself, is being brought out in these words. And I believe that the whole matter is, is accentuated clearly in that Joseph is not mentioned much at all beyond the earliest days of Jesus' life, perhaps when he was 12 years old. God was the true and only father of the Lord Jesus. Mary was his mother. And Jesus' bloodline legitimately follows along the line of Mary, his mother. Note, though, also an important bloodline that's preserved in both of these lineages, the bloodline that reaches directly into the kingly line of Judah, of Judah, that lineage from which David descended. And in coming from the lineage of David, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy given that a king would reign forever upon the throne of David. And Jesus was and still is that king. Folks, a very important doctrine is being revealed to us in these words, and that is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Yes, we have free will. People have free will. And yes, we can do an awful lot with that free will. Some of it right, but most of it very wrong. But intertwined within the free will of man is the indelible stamp of God that bespeaks that he is sovereign and that he truly does reach his mighty hand into time and into humanity. And he truly does cause many things to take place, things that affect you and me. And for those who would diligently search out these words, God reveals himself and his plan continually in ways like this. Folks, God would not leave the birth of his son within this lineage purely at the free will efforts of man. He is sovereign. He puts his hand into time and into our lives and he makes things take place. As you and I would become interested in our own lineage and it is popular these days to look into your own ancestors as we would become interested in our lineage and as we would perhaps begin to trace our lineage back through the generations. May we not fail to remember, folks listen, that as true believers, our true spiritual lineage will always trace back right through these same lines. Our spiritual lineage will trace right back through these same lines. Now in the coming weeks, as we study about the importance of our spiritual lineage, we'll find that in some manner or another, whether biological or otherwise, as believers in Christ, 
you and I become a part of a special group of God's chosen people called the remnant. We are part of the remnant. Beloved children of God, chosen before the foundation of the earth to bear his name and to carry it forward into all eternity. Listen to these truths from Scripture, and then we'll close with these words. From Galatians 3, verse 7, Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. That's our lineage. And in Galatians 3, also in verse 29, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then some of these favorite words in Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, children of God. Let's pray.